Well, Frack family, we're going to continue with our study of the Gospel of John this morning. And if you recall, last week we saw that Jesus appeared to ten of the disciples. Judas, of course, is gone, and Thomas was not with them. So I'm going to read our text to you. It's John 20, verses 24 through 29. It reads like this. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here with your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So read the words of the living God. So if you've ever studied philosophy, you know that one of the questions that philosophers wrestle with is, how do we know what we know? This is called the study of epistemology, the study of knowledge. How do we know what we, what we know? And there are a variety of ways that we come to knowledge. One is through deduction. And that is where things are true by definition. They can't not be true because we define them a certain way. For example, circles are round. And you can change the name of a circle. You can even call it a square if you want. But circles are round by definition because that's, what, that's how we define a circle. It's something that's round. And something that's round is, is circular. So even if you call it a square, it's still a circle by definition. We're just talking about words. Maybe you've heard the old story of a guy who said uh, to his friend, if a dog has four legs and you count his tail as a leg, how many legs does he have? And his friend, being a very wise philosopher, philosopher, says he's got four legs because it doesn't matter what you call, what you define the tail as, a tail is not a leg because we define a leg one way and a tail is different. And you can call them all legs, but it's only got four legs. Similar to two plus two equals four. Uh, if, if somebody wants to say two plus two equals five, they still mean two plus two equals four. We're just using different words because five now means four because when you have this many, <laughs> it's four and it's not five, uh, no matter what language we use. So, so deduction is, is rational thinking and definitional thinking. Uh, then there's induction. This is science. This is uh, empiricism. This is where you gather data and you look out and you observe things and then you draw conclusions from it. Now, nothing can be absolutely proven through induction. Uh, we just do test after test and observation after observation and draw general conclusions. But there's another way that we know things, and that is through testimony. 
testimony is something that you didn't see yourself, but somebody else did. And so you believe or don't believe the testimony. If you believe it, then you have knowledge of that uh, truth that someone is telling you. For instance, right now in our culture, there is a great deal of, uh, great difference of opinion about how significant and how deadly the coronavirus is. On the one hand, we have some people, and no doubt some of you frack family are in this camp, that believes that the virus is extremely dangerous and deadly, and we need to stay holed up in here until there's a vaccine or until we have significant decrease in the cases because lots of reports say, lots of studies say it's really, really dangerous. On the other hand, we have people, no doubt, in our frack family who say, no, it's way, it's been way overblown. It's not nearly as serious as some are making it to sound, and it's not worth destroying the economy. And, and so we just need to get back to life as usual and just consider this one of those viruses like the flu or something else. Uh, here's the thing. Who's right? Who really knows? I don't know. And to be frank, you don't know either because both camps and everyone in between is basing their conclusion on testimony from somebody. The people in this camp have testimonies of those they would say they trust who say it's really dangerous. And those over here are hearing testimony from those who've done studies and say it's not nearly as dangerous as first thought. And the, and the truth is we can find a study to support any conclusion we want in this whole thing. And so we are left to just pray and say, Lord, show us how to respond to this because we don't know whose testimony to believe. Well, in our passage today, we, we find a man who was very skeptical about the testimony of others. And I can resonate, and maybe some of you can as well. I'm a little bit like Thomas. I'll admit that. I'm pretty skeptical when somebody tells me something that doesn't readily sound uh, logical or rational or, or believable. I was uh, thinking as I was walking this morning uh, about this passage and remember the time when my son, uh, I think he was five years old, jumped off of a wall and uh, hurt his foot. And he said, I think it's broken. And Krista said, I think it's broken. And I said, ah, I don't think it's broken. I doubt it. And he kept saying, it really hurts. Said, yeah, it'll be fine, I'm sure. A couple days later, finally gave in to let Krista take him to the doctor. Yep, broken in two or three places. <laughs> but my initial thought was, yeah, see, see, I'm from Missouri. Missouri is the show me state. And I, I have this mindset of show me. Now, not everybody from Missouri is like that. You know, they say opposites attract. Well, my wife is sort of the opposite of skeptical. When you look up gullible addiction, no, I won't go there. Anyway, it's, it's sort of like April Fool's Day every day in my house because I can tell my wife lots of things and, and she trusts me. She takes my testimony as it's true and I have a lot of fun with that. Well, Thomas did not believe the testimony of his uh, fellow apostles on this occasion. So we don't know all the details here. Uh, this happens on the eighth day, which in Jewish counting, the way they use language, probably this was the next Sunday. It's, a, it's including the eighth day, and so this is probably the following Sunday uh, when, when Jesus shows up here. But in the meantime, uh, we don't know if Jesus appeared to the disciples again. All we know is Thomas wasn't there on Easter Sunday, so he did not see Jesus. 
The other 10 probably could not have been more excited. They actually saw him. And you can imagine them rushing to Thomas. Thomas, Thomas, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus is alive. And what does Thomas say? You're right. I don't believe you. And you just wonder what the next week was like. Here's how I picture it. They keep trying to persuade him. No, we really saw him. He talked to us. He breathed and said something about receiving the Spirit and, 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 and all this. And he says, I'm going to send you out. And, and, and I just wonder if Thomas didn't go through something like this in his mind and maybe even said it to him. Guys, 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 look. I know how much we all loved Jesus. I know how much hope we had placed in Jesus. He meant so much to us. But remember, they put nails through his hands and hung him on a tree. And they put a nail, a spike, through his feet. And when the soldiers came by to determine whether he was dead or not, and if he wasn't dead, they were going to beat his legs with a mallet, they didn't even do that. Because he was already dead. And they thrust a sword into his side or a spear into his side and out came blood and water. Brothers, he's dead. And I'm telling you, unless, unless I can put my finger in those nail holes and my hand in that side, I'm not going to believe you. You want it so bad. I'm sure you mean well, but you probably saw somebody that reminds you of Jesus and you saw him with your heart, not with your head. Unless I see him, see those holes, I'm not going to believe. And again, we can relate to that. There was a couple in our church some years ago uh, who had not been around the church very long. Uh, but one day I got a phone call and uh, it, it was the man. He said, my wife was in a horrible car accident could you come down to the hospital and, and pray? And it's very, very serious. And so I, I went to the hospital, and by the time I got there, they had already said she's going to, to live maybe another hour or so. And when I walked into the room, her body was so different. What had gone on inside, the swelling, and, and I, she was deformed. I, I would never have recognized her. She didn't look like the same woman that I had saw, had seen just a, a few days before. And sure enough, uh, an hour or two later, she was gone. And you know how this goes, right? You, you have the funeral and you put that dead body in the ground and you cover it over with dirt. Now imagine if a week or so later, he had come to me and said, Pastor Doug, Pastor Doug, you're not going to believe this, but she's alive. I saw her. I talked to her. What kind of man would I be to say, isn't that great? That's so wonderful. That's not how any of us re would respond. We would be gracious and, you know, there'd be something in our heart that we say, oh, that, that, that this poor man just loved her so much and he misses her so much and he, he's just become irrational because of his grief. And if he kept on telling me, no, she's alive, she's alive, at some point, I would feel compelled to say to him, brother, I know it's hard, but you just got to let her go.
because people who die stay dead. That's all of our experience. And I'm sure that's kind of what Thomas was doing here. Like, brothers, I know you want this so badly, but he's dead. Gotta let it go. A week later, the apostles, all of them, including Thomas now, are in the room. The door is locked. They're still afraid of the Jews, thinking, when are they going to come after us? Jesus shows up. Again, did he go magically through the doors? His glorified body able to go through walls? I kind of hope so. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Jesus shows up, offers his word of encouragement, peace be to you. And then he turns to Thomas. He says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger right here. My body still bears the marks of those spikes in my hand. Put your hand right here. Touch my side and believe. We are not told whether Thomas actually reached out and touched his hand and his side, but what he did next was one of the most wonderful things we see in all of Scripture. He falls down at the feet of Jesus and he exclaims, My Lord and my God. This is the great Christian confession. This is what we all must believe and say. In Romans, Paul will say, uh, This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how we are saved. He says, All who confess with their mouths Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, all who do those things will be saved. Now, he doesn't say all who profess with their mouth. That, that means you can't just say the words. You have to believe it. It has to be a true confession. But if you will, from your heart, from your rational uh, thinking, from your faith, say, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved from God's wrath. That's what he says. Jesus is Lord. It's the foundational confession of Christianity. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios. It means master. Or in the Old Testament, it's, the tra it's uh, how the, the word Adonai is translated. The Greek word kurios translates the Old Testament word Adonai, which is the exalted word. It it's, means sovereign one. It's the name above all names. When, when Paul in Philippians talks about Jesus getting the name above all names, he's talking about the name Lord. So when Thomas calls Jesus kurios, my kurios, my Lord, he is saying, you're the king, I'm the subject. You are the master, I'm the slave. And for all of us who call Jesus Lord, we are saying the same thing. Jesus, you're king, I'm your subject. You're the master, I'm your slave. 
Well, anybody can say those words. We are called to live it out. And how do we do that? We obey. That's what subjects do to a king. That's what slaves do to a master. We obey. So when Jesus says, submit to the authorities over you, like the government, we say, yes, sir, I will do that. When King Jesus says, women, wives, submit to your husbands, you say, yes, sir, I will do that. When King Jesus says, husbands, love your wives as I love the church, we as husbands say, yes, sir, I will do that. When King Jesus says, children, obey your parents, you say, <laughs> you all can't hear them, but there was a resounding response from my kids, yes, sir. There wasn't that. We'll work on that later. We say, they, children say, yes, Lord Jesus, I will submit to my parents because you are my king. And on the list goes. If we confess him as Lord, we say, you are the master and I will submit to all that you command. That's what it means. And when someone rises from the dead before your very eyes, he deserves to be called my king. But he also says, Thomas that is, says, my God. Now, if you know anything about Jewish law, you know that Thomas was treading on dangerous ground here. In fact, so was Jesus. We have a few other examples in the Bible where men are worshipped as though they are God. And the response usually is, stop doing that. For instance, Paul uh, does some amazing things by the power of God, and the people respond, and they start to worship him like he's a God. And he says, no, 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 get up, get up, get, please get up. <laughs> please get up. I'm just a man like you. On another occasion, we, we read of, of those of men bowing down before angels. And the angel says, no, 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 I'm, I'm just a creature like you. We have one example, King Herod, uh, sometime after this event, when the people cry out about King Herod and say, he's a god. And Herod receives that worship. And the testimony of scripture and of extra biblical literature is, Herod died soon after that. We're told in the book of Acts that he was eaten from the inside by worms. God would not stand by and allow King Herod to receive the worship of men as though Herod was God. Notice what Jesus does not do when Thomas says, my God. He does not say, Thomas, get up, stop, don't do that. Don't you know, if I receive your worship, this will be idolatry, and God will strike me down? It's not what he said. He accepted the worship. He received it because it was true. He is God. And this was dangerous on Thomas's part if he's not accurate. For a Jew to bow down before another man and call him God was the height of idolatry. And he knew better. The Israelites had been thrust into exile, suffering under the judgment and wrath of God for generations because they had worshipped gods who were not God. 
But seeing Jesus alive after watching him die was all the proof that he needed. This man is God. And that's the story John has been telling through the entire book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and that Word we know is now, we know that's Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word, finish it, was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among these men. And Thomas sees him die, sees him alive again. And now Thomas understands this man, the man he's looking at, the man who has holes in his hands and feet and side, that man is God. And the only proper response is to worship. And Jesus, instead of rejecting that worship and saying, no, no, get up, he pro pronounces a blessing. Now, in English, verse 29 is worded as a question, the first part. In the Greek, it's ambiguous. It could be a question or it could be a statement. I tend to favor the statement. I believe what Jesus here is saying is, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. That's good. But now he's going to pronounce a blessing on me and on you. He says, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Now, again, I don't want to get too technical with the grammar here, but the Greek construction doesn't read as past tensey as our English. Those who did not see and yet believe. That sounds past tense. But the, the way it works in the Greek language is it's an undefined. It's not intended to be past tense. He's simply making a statement about those who do not see the risen Christ with their eyes and yet believe. And what does Jesus say about them? They're blessed. That's us. That's us. So my birthday was about a month or so ago, and uh, one of the questions that my children or my wife will ask me once in a while on my birthday is, do you know what time you were born? And I immediately say, yes, I was born at 11.26 a.m. How do I know that? I don't remember it. I didn't know how to tell time the moment I was born. I don't remember seeing a clock or a watch. I don't remember hearing somebody say, it's 1126. I don't remember anything about that day. So how do I know that I was born at 1126? Because every year when I was growing up on my birthday, my mom would say, oh, you were born at 1126 AM. It was special to her. And I believed her. I wasn't, I, I, well, I was there, <laughs> but I wasn't cognizant of anything. I'm guessing if I asked all of you to raise your hand if you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, everybody's hand would go up. Please tell me your hand would go up. And then if I follow up with the question, how do you know? 
Well, you're gonna pick up your phone here. I'll just call him and say, hey, George, were you the first? You can't. <laughs> Why do we believe this? How do we know? Because of the testimony of people who were there who wrote it down. And the list goes on and on and on of things that we accept as true, things that we believe, even though we weren't there, things that happened before we were born, the Civil War, World War I, the Great Depression, on and on the list goes. But we believe them because people who were there, who were eyewitnesses, saw it firsthand and they wrote it down. And we trust those writings. Who here has seen Jesus? Which of us has put our hands in his nail-scarred hands? Which of us has touched his side? Which of us have been able to fall on our face before him in his very presence, grab a hold of his feet, and say, my Lord and my God? None of us. Why do we believe? Are we crazy? Are we hope against hope, leaping in faith to believe? No. People who were eyewitnesses wrote it down. Matthew, the apostle, was there, and he wrote it down in his gospel. Mark hung around some, then he spent a lot of time with Peter, and he wrote it down, what Peter saw with his own eyes. Luke was fastidious in getting details about all that happened around Jesus' time, and he spent time with Paul. And you remember Paul saw the risen Lord very dramatically after this event. Later on, he saw him, and Luke wrote it down. And John, who we've been studying for the last year plus, was there and he wrote it down. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared alive to the disciples, then to his brothers, his, his biological brothers, and then to 500 others. They saw it with their own eyes. That's why we believe. There's a great scene in the, uh, the third uh, Indiana Jones series, uh, The Last Crusade. There's a scene at the end where... Indiana Jones comes to this great chasm and in order to save his dying father, he has to cross this chasm. And all he has is a page in a book that talks about a leap of faith. And he's looking across this chasm thinking, how am I going to get over there? Because there's nothing. He's going to fall to his death. It says take a leap of faith. He's desperate because his dad is dying. Finally, he figures it out. There must be an invisible bridge. That's what the writing indicates. And so he stands at the edge, and he kind of closes his eyes, and he steps off the edge, and his feet land on solid ground. The writing was true. There is a bridge from this side to that side. Now what he does next is he grabs a bunch of dirt and flings it across the bridge so he can see where the bridge goes. You think, well, why did he do that in the first place? But that wouldn't have been as dramatic in the story. 
The point is he believed someone who had been there and seen the bridge and wrote it down. He believed the writing and sure enough, it was true. We have the writing right here. 2,000 years ago, John wrote these words and Jesus pronounces a blessing on all of us who even though we haven't seen Jesus with our own eyes, we believe the testimony of these men who did see it. And we are believing. And because of that belief, we have eternal life. And it is not a blind leap of faith. It is not a shot in the dark. We have ample evidence. Oh, Christian, don't ever think that we are to check our brain to the door and stop thinking and believe in absurdities to be a Christian. If Christianity is not true, we should not believe it. Our entire eternal life is bound up in lies if it's not true. Paul argues that in 1 Corinthians 15. If, if Jesus is still dead, our faith is worthless. No, no, we do not believe in a, a myth. We don't believe in fantasy. We don't believe in some fairy tale made up story. We believe that Jesus is alive because eyewitness testimony delivered to us by the word of God himself tells us he's alive. And therefore we have eternal life. And Jesus says, blessed are those who even though they don't see, they believe. Brother and sister, frack family, if you believe in the risen Lord, Jesus says, you are blessed. And as Jesus told Peter another occasion, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. And for that, we need to be eternally grateful. Let's pray. King Jesus, we say together as a church with one voice, even though we are separated and in different places right now, we say with one heart and one voice, we believe you are our Lord and our God. And we thank you for opening our eyes and our hearts and our minds to believe this truth. Lord, keep us faithful and steadfast. Even when the world screams that we are believing lies, keep us focused on the truth because you are the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.